Hi everyone, my name's Josie, I'm a student leader, and we're opening up to 1 Peter 5 tonight. It's verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pray with me. Dear God, I just thank you for getting each one of us here tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be working through David's message um, uniquely in each one of our hearts and that we, yeah, like, um, that we just leave changed, yeah, from David's words tonight. Um, We love you. Amen. Thanks. All right. So you already got your Bibles open to 1 Peter 5. You're halfway there. Um, my name is David. If you guys don't know me, I'm one of the guys on staff. I'm planting a church from Doxa to Ann Arbor, yeah. Michigan next year. Yeah, there's, there's some of you who are already coming, brought in. It's awesome. If you're not on the, the wagon yet, there's still more seats. You can still come. Okay, so 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Um, it's interesting tonight. I don't know if you caught this, but he's talking like he starts off and he's like, hey, as an elder, I'm writing to elders. So right away, Every single person in this room except Ronnie is like, I'm out, <laughs> right? Like, like, this is like an interesting passage to like spend a night teaching on. And if you've been kind of with us for the last while, one of the things we do is we just, we teach through books of the Bible. And so we keep landing in certain sections that it's like, okay, this is not directing you like specifically, but there's actually something here for us. And if you've kind of been with us the last few weeks, he keeps talking to different people in different kind of roles in life, right? Citizens, employees, like slaves or wives, and just people who have a certain role in life. And he's saying, hey, as someone who's following the crucified Messiah, what does it look like to live that part of life? How do you exist? How do you just like kind of navigate through life? It's actually been really practical. And this is interesting because most of the sections he's been talking about are people who are kind of under some authority, Right? In most of our lives, like no matter who you are, even if you're like, you know, a boss of some company, most of your life there's some things you're under authority, but now he's turning to those who are called to lead the church. Those who actually do have some level of authority and power, and it's saying, what does it leadership look like as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and specifically, what does it look like to lead in the church of God as an elder? So some of this is going to be like broad, like you'll actually be able to take some of the principles in this text and say, okay, like as someone who has various leadership in the world, I should lead in this way. But if I'm just being totally honest, a lot of this is pretty specific to actually elders in the church. So real quickly, what is an elder? Because this is not like an idea or a term a lot of us are familiar with. Um, But there's a few things in scripture. So write down these two passages. I'm actually going to read them tonight. They're kind of long, but I want you to kind of like go back and read them on your own. It's 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and then Titus 1, 5 through 9. So this is kind of two areas in the Bible where it kind of lays out, hey, what is an elder and what are even like kind of the qualifications of elders? If these are the people who are going to kind of lead in the church and have a level of authority, they actually need to meet certain qualifications. And so those are the two sections of scripture that, that explain that. But I'll kind of summarize quickly what those chapters of the Bible say. 
Really quickly, an elder is this. It's someone who exemplifies godliness and someone who kind of meets all these qualifications of eldership that are listed in those verses. Second, it's, it's someone who has been given kind of authority to, and stewardship to lead and oversee in a local church. So someone who actually has like real authority in the church, but it's also someone who leads the church in a plurality. So if you notice that even in this passage, right, it doesn't say, hey, to the elder, it says to the elders, right? So these are, these, are, these are men who don't just kind of lead as like a king, kind of just like throwing down authority from on high, but it's kind of a group of people who are actually leading in plurality, and they kind of both are exerting authority over one another. So you're kind of existing like this. And the main task of an elder, he says, is this, shepherd the flock of God. Okay, now I wanted to stop for a moment here and talk about this. The flock of God, what's he talking about? He's talking about the church, right? And so like the Bible's filled with images and actually one of like the constant images from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end is this idea of like sheep. Sheep and shepherds and flocks, okay? And so he's saying, hey, you shepherd the flock of God. And I wanna talk about this tonight because there's a couple different ways to think about the church, okay? So we don't talk about this a ton in Salt. We don't kind of just like lay out what is the church? What are we talking about when we talk about the church? But tonight we're gonna, we're gonna do that. And there's two different ways to think about the church. Um, one way is like what we call like a big C church, okay, or like the universal church. And the big C church is like the collection of all of those chosen and saved by the blood of Jesus through all of time. So if you go to Revelation and you read about the bride of Christ, that's what it's talking about. This is the group of humanity that's going to live together as the redeemed, the children of God in the new heavens, the new earth, big C church, okay? But most of the time when you read in the Bible, it talks about church, it's actually referring to local churches, and this is what he's saying here, right? The flock of God that is among you. So meaning not like everything of all time, all Christians, but just the Christians who are grouped together in your small group here. And so when you become a Christian, you actually become part of God's big C church, like the universal church by virtue of your salvation. You become part of God's family, right? Actually on the cross, what's happening is Jesus is like trading places with you, right? So you get his father, you, you're part of his family if you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And so boom, in that moment of faith, you're actually part of God's family. But the way that it's meant to express itself in your life is that you now, as a follower of Jesus, choose to join and live in part of a local expression of God's family called the church. And it's this gathering of people here and now. We, we live together. We pray together. We seek to follow Jesus together as his family. And one of the primary distinctives of the church is that it has an authority structure within it of qualified men who lead and oversee and shepherd the church as elders. Okay, now... One of the things that I've heard a lot over the years is an, is an idea that's kind of like this. It's like, well, hey, because Christianity isn't about a religious system, but it's about a personal relationship with Jesus, whether I'm a member of a local church or not isn't really that important, right? And you've kind of probably heard language like this, or maybe if you talk to someone on State Street, they might say something like, hey, I'm not into organized religion, but I'm a spiritual person. That's a very common thing people think today, or maybe like a Christian version of this is like, I don't really have a church I belong to, but I just kind of choose to follow Jesus kind of on my own. I have some other friends who kind of do this with. Now here's a question. Can you be a healthy follower of Jesus and not be part of a local church? What do you think? Don't answer. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> no, you can't. Maybe, that, maybe that's surprising to some of you. Like, that's actually true. Like, you, can you be a healthy follower of Jesus and not be part of a local church? No, you can't. You certainly can't be healthy. And, and there's actually, the reason we know this is because there isn't a single example of this in the entire Bible. 
You can go through all of it. Look, there's not a single example of someone kind of living outside of this community structure that God has given for his people. In the Old Testament, you're part of the group people of Israel. In the New Testament, you're part of local churches. Why? Because you're a sheep. And sheep need a flock. There's no such thing as a lone sheep. And in the Bible, there's only kind of one story we have of a sheep that's on its own. It's not part of a flock. And it's the story that Jesus tells of the lost sheep. And actually, the whole point of the story is the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one and bring it back home, right? That's the whole point of the story. And so in this section, what he's doing is he's giving instruction to the elders of how they're supposed to lead the church. And so one of the most obvious questions is from the very beginning, as we're kind of, you know, people in Madison getting our eyes on this, is it's this. If I am a follower of Jesus, am I actually part of a church? Like, does this passage apply to me at all? Because if it's talking about how the elders are supposed to exist in the church and you're not part of a church, you have this really weird thing happening where you're like, well, wait a minute. It's talking about this thing I'm supposed to be a part of, but I'm not. And so my question is, have you made your life accountable in that kind of way? Because to be part of a church is actually to like be pretty vulnerable to that place and those people. Because you're actually putting yourself like underneath this authority of these leaders and you're kind of opening up your life and you're being honest with people in like a really real way. Are there like local spiritual leaders in a context of a church who know you and know your life? And you know, what's interesting is the Bible doesn't say, hey, what you got to do is you got to be part of a college ministry or some Christian group. It never, never doesn't say that. It doesn't say you should be part of some kind of non, like a Christian nonprofit that kind of has like a spiritual thing going on with it. And you kind of have coworkers that are like vaguely Christian. It doesn't say be part of like an online group of believers that like talk about theology on like an online forum. It doesn't say pick up a Bible and try to follow Jesus on your own and maybe kind of do it with some of your friends. But it says that when you become a Christian, you de facto become part of God's family. And the family of God expresses itself here and now in gatherings of believers called churches. And God's actually given like rules and structure and guidelines that he's kind of written in his Bible of how we're supposed to live in that community. And one of the things that marks a true church is that it has elders, leaders. And so I'm, I'm not an elder, okay? I actually am like coming underneath the, the elders of Doxa Church. So like Ronnie and Rob and, and, and Danny and Nick and like the elders of Doxa Church, like they have actually like a th- level of authority over my life. Like, they helped me decide where we were going to plant church. Like, I wasn't going to decide that on my own, right? I was like, guys, what do you think? Like, give me direction. Be, be some level of leadership and authority in my life. And so I, I'm actually underneath the authority of the elders, too. And I, I, fair warning, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant about this, okay? So if you're like, I think you already are. You're right, but I'm going to continue, okay? So the reason is because this is just one of those things, the local church. This is one of the things that if you leave Salt Company— after a few years here, and you don't understand this deeply within you, we will have totally failed you. (laughs) Because one of the things that we see in the New Testament is that the local church is not something that some Christians participate in, but the local church, this local expression of God's family here in places, is actually God's plan A for the world. It's his plan A for the world, and he, if you read through the Bible, you figure out he doesn't have a plan B. Like, that's what he's got. That's what he's given for Christians to do. The local church is God's plan A to reach the world. There is no plan B. And this is what Jesus tells Peter, right? The guy who's writing this letter. He says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning there's no other plan. There's no other idea that Christians are supposed to come up with. 
And so I want to just make this really clear, guys. The idea of a Christian not being part of a church is an idea that would be totally unintelligible to every follower of Jesus in the first century. So, so much so that if you weren't part of a local church, you actually wouldn't have gotten the Bible. Like you wouldn't even, got, you wouldn't even heard this. You wouldn't even gotten this letter because the letter wasn't addressed to Christians. It was addressed to churches. Right, go back, look at the New Testament. Romans, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, these are churches. And even First Peter, which is written to God's people who've kind of been like, because of persecution, scattered and isolated kind of all over the place, he's still addressing elders. So this is, this is still a church. And you say, well, what about Timothy and Titus? Those are just like individual dudes. Like, come on. It's like, well, they're pastors of local churches. And he's telling them how to pastor their church. And you say, what about Paul? That dude's like going all over the place. Like just, he's all kind of on his own, doing his own thing. Well, yeah, he was a missionary that was sent out from a local church. And he was actually underneath the authority of like the Jerusalem elders. And he was planting local churches that he then went and like installed elders in. So quite simply, what I'm saying is this. If you aren't part of a local church, you're missing out on one of the primary things God's given you to help you walk with Jesus. And it's, it's even maybe more than that. Because if you aren't part of a local church, you actually can't obey like 80% of the teachings of the New Testament because almost the whole New Testament is teaching us how to relate to one another in the context of the local church. And so the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because there's this really common idea that I hear from people kind of our age that's like, what's really important is that I know Jesus and what's less important is if I'm kind of part of a church. And I would just say, from someone who's been following Jesus for 10 years, who's been like trying to find that idea in the Bible, I would say, it is not here. It's not. Being part of a local church isn't an option for Christians, those who are in the family of God. It's actually necessary. And one of the biggest goals we have in Salt Company is not just to get you to love Thursday nights and love your connection group, but actually to develop within you a heart that loves the local church. Because Jesus loves the local church. Like, it's why we invite you to come to Sunday mornings with us, right? This is why we even meet here at Dox's building. Because we recognize it's kind of far away. You've got to drive here. And, like, now, fair enough, like, in COVID, it's the only thing that's open, right? So it's like, we get to meet here. It's great. But there's a reason we do that, right? Because we want you to recognize, like, oh, man, there's, like, a gathering of, of believers that meet here. Like, this is a church building. Because as important as it is that you learn how to read your Bible and pray and, and share the gospel and grow in your faith during your college years, it's actually more important that you learn to love and care and serve the local church the rest of your life. Because this group, I love Salt, it's great. You got like four years of this max. And if you're like a bad student or you're doing a hard major, five, okay? <laughs> like that's just, that's just what it is, okay? Like, and like anything past that, even if you're still sticking around, we're gonna be like, hey, you gotta move on, right? <laughs> like you gotta move on, it's been six years. We've, we've done that before and we will do it to you, okay? But you're going to be part of a church your whole life. And that's actually like the primary community that you're going to have to walk with Jesus the whole rest of your life. And so if you don't learn to love the church and have like a really high view of the local church, then you're not going to be discipled and you're not going to grow in Jesus in the way Jesus intends to you as part of his family. And, and this, I know this is hard. And it's hard, it's hard for a few reasons because let's be honest, the church is messy like really messy. Like messy is not the word for it. Like it is super messed up. Amen? Amen. 
Like a lot of you have stories with the church that are actually like really painful. And a lot of you have had experiences with like gatherings of believers that are actually like kind of traumatic and like are not fun to even talk about because there's a lot of brokenness even inside the family of God. And the reason is the church is filled with sinners. Right, there's no perfect people in the church. And, and the problem with this is it means that also even as leaders are not perfect. And we all have seen in the news or even seen in our own lives where like leaders of the church or people who have kind of some status have actually abused their power. And we've all had experiences where people we know that are Christians in the gathered church, they're hypocrites, they're self-absorbed, they're self-righteous, they're, there's judgmental people that are in the church. And so the question is, why would you submit yourself and humble yourself kind of underneath this group of people? Why would you ever think about subjecting yourself under the leadership of local elders, giving them access to your life in that way, when there's a possibility that things might go really sideways? Why would you do that? It's because you're a sheep. And despite how strange it is that God has chosen to build his church out of broken people just like you, he has. And this is God's plan A for the world, and there's no plan B but even more than that, it's his plan A for your life. There's no such thing as a sheep that lives outside of the flock of God, outside of the authority of the shepherds of God. There's, there's no such thing as a sheep that lives that way long term. But there is another kind of animal that lives this way, and it's a wolf. And this is actually one of the things that almost always happens is that someone will try to exert some kind of spiritual leadership outside of the plurality and authority of a local church. And they will say, hey, hey, come, come with me. That place has got a lot of brokenness. It's going to hurt you. Come with me kind of on your own. When someone tries to get you to take yourself out from under the authority of a local church and go and pursue God with them kind of on your own, doing your own thing, that, my friends, is not a sheep. That is a wolf. And they are not going to lead you to greener pastures, but they are going to devour you. I, I'm not speaking hypothetically about this. I have watched this happen to people I love and care about time and time and time again. Some of my best friends, this is actually their story. Because there were things that hurt them and wounded them from people who are part of a church. And they just got to a place where they just said, I'm done with this. I'm out. I'm going to go try to follow Jesus kind of on my own. But this thing is broken, and I'm wounded from this, and so I'm out. And I have watched a lot of those people not just wander from the church, but actually wander from Jesus entirely. You can't follow Jesus on your own. You can't. And you need to be part of a flock, and sheep need shepherds. And what's true is you actually need someone, we actually need someone to keep watch over our souls. This is what Hebrews 13 says. It says, obey and submit to your leaders for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And this means that it's really important that those who lead in the church actually lead in the way Jesus tells them to. But it also means it's really important for you that you know what a godly leader looks like. Do you know? Like you can just tell, like this is a godly leader. This is someone that the Bible would uphold and say, follow this kind of person. Because you don't want to follow a pastor or a leader who's going to lead you off a cliff. You want to follow a pastor or a leader who's going to lead you to Jesus. And so that's what this, this text is about. 
And so he says this, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. He's kind of speaking with this kind of authoritative way to the elders of this church. He's saying, you do this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. How are they supposed to do it? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in charge of being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. One of the first things that we see about what it means to lead in the church is that the church is filled, but it's also led by people who've been redeemed by Jesus. And the way we see this, it isn't actually totally obvious, but I think you'll see it when you read closer. He's, this is, Peter says this, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Okay? This is Peter the Apostle saying that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Is there anything that feels strange about that line to you? That Peter is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Well, let me ask some questions. Where was Peter when Jesus was being falsely accused? Yeah, where was Peter when Jesus was being whipped? Where was Peter when Jesus was being drugged up the hill? Where was Peter when Jesus was suffering on the cross? The answer is he was hiding. He was protecting himself from actually being identified as one of Jesus' followers, right? The suffering of Jesus, it's so fascinating. The suffering of Jesus took place during one of the most climactic moments of failure in Peter's life. And actually the only moment that Peter witnessed the sufferings of Jesus was after Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to Peter with the scars of his suffering on his body. Peter wasn't a witness to the suffering of Jesus as they were happening. He was a witness. He wasn't a witness standing side by side with his Savior, but he experienced the sufferings of Jesus when Jesus came to him after his crucifixion to offer him restoration and forgiveness and grace. Why do I bring this up? Because the church is not filled with broken people who have been redeemed, but it's also led by those people. Peter is the leader of the church of God. He's the one that Jesus said we would use to build this church. And he didn't, he didn't just fail to show up for Jesus, but he has the most climactic failure of any of the disciples except for Judas. Like, he openly denied him three times. And listen, this is exactly the kind of person Jesus uses to lead in his kingdom. Jesus doesn't go after the people with almost no blemishes on their record, but it's the person who knows in the deepest part of themselves that they don't deserve a seat at the table, and yet in his kindness and his grace, Jesus gave them one. It's not those who know what mercy is abstractly that Jesus wants to use to lead in his kingdom, it's those who know what it means personally. It's those who felt the weight of their failure and sin weigh down on them and have also felt the even greater weight of God's grace as it's been poured out on their lives. Those are the kind of people that Jesus uses to lead in his church. There's no perfect people in God's church. And if you've been here for a while, you try to figure this out, but like there's no hierarchy of like goodness or spirituality, right? But actually the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we all relate to one another as sinners who've been given mercy instead of justice. And we're all actually witnesses of the suffering of Jesus in the same way. Not those who stood side by side with him, but those who put the marks on his body. And this, this is my story. 
Like, I have way more sin and failure in my life and in my past than any of you do. Like, it's not even close. I have failed Jesus and turned my back on him so many times, way more than any of you in this room. And if you're in this room and you think that the church is a place for good people or put together people, or you think that the only people Jesus would use to change the world are people who have an exemplary life, you misunderstand the heart of Christ. The church isn't filled with great people, it's filled with redeemed people. Redeemed people. I was reading this article today by an author, Carrie Newhoff. I honestly don't even really know who this is. I just know he's a Christian, I think, and I was like reading some of his stuff. This is like really, it's like a really funny quote. I shouldn't have even told you any of that. I should have just said, an author once said, but I did. <laughs> but this is what he said. It, it just, it made me think. He said, some of the things that bother you most about the church should actually be the things that amaze you about it. And what he's talking about was just like the brokenness in the church, right? And he's saying, how is it that God actually uses broken, messed up people to accomplish his goals in the world? And so often the thing about the church that frustrates us is it's filled with broken, messed up people. And he's like, one of the things that should happen is that we shouldn't always just be frustrated by the brokenness of the church, but we should actually stand back and be like, it is unbelievable that God is using a group of people like us to change the world. That's crazy. Like, if you guys know my life and my story, you'd be like, that dude should never be a pastor. Like, that guy's like kind of a monster. Like, if you knew the, like, the deep things in my heart, you'd be like, this person's really broken. And I would just say, yeah, I really am. I really am. Some of the things that frustrate us about the church are actually the things that should amaze us. Sometimes the fact that the church is messed up is not actually a sign of God's absence but most of the time, it's actually a sign of his grace, right? And there's limits with this. We're not talking about, like, abuse. We're not talking about, like, some really messed up things that the Bible condemns so thoroughly. We're just talking about, like, normal brokenness in the church. Most of that shouldn't make us mad. Most of it should just be like, this is crazy that God is using us to change the world. There are people who are broken, but there are people who are redeemed. And this is the second thing he's saying. It's not just that people are redeemed anyone who's redeemed can lead in the church, but it's people whose like redemption is really evident. Right? This is the second thing. Those who are leaders in the church, they're actually supposed to have lives that look a certain way. And he kind of lists, lists three things. So look in, the, look in the text with me about these. He says this, exercising oversight. So they're supposed to lead, okay? They're supposed to kind of, elders are supposed to lead. How are they supposed to lead? Well, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And there's kind of like three things he, he highlights, right? It's like, the first thing is, like, it's like three ways to fail in leadership. The first is like, it's like laziness, lack of drive, greed, or like a desire for some kind of gain. And then the last one is like a desire for power or control. I kind of use your power to like dominate other people. And what's kind of wild about this, wild about this is like the things that Peter says that church leaders are not supposed to be are many of the reasons that a lot of us actually want authority and leadership. <laughs> like I was la laughing about that list because I was like, that's so funny. Like I have certain inclinations in my heart that like that's why I would think leading would be good. Right? And think about this. Like we don't want to be the one that does all the hard work. We want to get the cushy spot at the top. Laziness. Right? We want to be the boss because they're the ones that have the biggest paycheck, the biggest status in the group. What's that? Greed. 
We want to lead because we want to be in control and have power to kind of do what we want. What's that? Domineering. And what's so interesting is that what Peter says is that leadership and authority actually works in the church in almost a total opposite way of how it works in the world. Because it's not a hierarchy ladder where you get to the top and you have power and status and respect. But the kingdom of God is the complete opposite of that. Because the person who's at the very top of the pyramid is the man of sorrows. It's Jesus. He's the crucified one, the servant of all. And so it means that the hierarchy ladder of authority in the kingdom of God is turned upside down. Those who have leadership aren't supposed to use it for personal gain. And if they do, that actually disqualifies them to be a leader in the church. But actually what they're supposed to do is come underneath and serve those around them. And Jesus says this all the time. And one of the people he said it most to are his disciples, right? Those who are going to lead and like be the true, like the first kind of elders of the church, like not even just elders, but like apostles. And it's so funny because literally as I was reading, I'm not sure if this is totally right, but I was trying to think through it. And I'm pretty sure the only conversation that the disciples have like multiple times is asking Jesus, which one of them is the greatest? Like, I think it's the only one they have. It's like a recurring conversation. And they're like, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? And specifically, hey, who's going to be kind of at your right and left hand? Who's going to really be in authority and leadership with you? you. And Jesus always explains leadership like this. He says, if you want to lead, you want to be great, you want to have authority in the kingdom, then serve. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be, have authority, then actually put yourself underneath the people and wash their feet. This is what leadership in the kingdom of God looks like. It's not power to dominate and manipulate those beneath you, but it's the power to influence with your life as an example of humility and godliness. It's not the power to get more or become someone important, but it is that from a relationship with Jesus that kind of overflows, you find this desire to actually love and serve and lead those around you in his kingdom. And I want to just get super practical because I actually think this is really important. If you see a leader or a pastor in the church who is constantly trying to get more and more of anything, whether it's like followers of social, on social media or it's like money from book sales or like whatever, run from that leader. Do not follow that person because they're climbing up the same ladder that Jesus is climbing down. If you go on YouTube or on television, right, you see these prosperity gospel preachers They wear like $10,000 suits. They have multiple cars parked in their mansions. Listen, those aren't elders or pastors or leaders. Those are charlatans. These are some of the most popular people that kind of proclaim the name of Jesus who are out in the world. And by every single definition in the Bible, those are not real leaders in the church. Bottom shelf, it's like this. If you go into Barnes & Noble and you see someone writing a book about Jesus and their face is on the front cover, don't buy that book. It's about them, not Jesus. I'm mostly joking. There's probably a couple of books that have the author's face on it that are good books. Most of them aren't, okay? Most of them aren't. But I'm serious. If you see a pastor, he's using their power or control in this like top-down way to manipulate and hold others beneath them. Or if you see someone who's using their power to kind of keep themselves unaccountable. Or if you see a leader or pastor in the church who tells others what to do without doing it themselves, run from that leader. Don't submit yourself to them. Don't follow them. Don't go to that kind of church. 
Because those people are living by all the values of this world now instead of leading you to the world that is to come. And this is what a shepherd is supposed to do. It's the whole point of shepherds. Because we're sheep. And if we're honest, we're, we're pretty dumb. And, and if you know anything about sheep, they wander a lot. I really learned, read an article about like this, this shepherd that was like eating a sandwich. And while he was eating a sandwich, 1,700 of his sheep like ran off the edge of a cliff and killed themselves. I was like, whoa, I'm that dumb? That's like amazing. It's like kind of mean, Jesus. But, but seriously, like sheep need leadership. And so what's true in your life is like you're going to be led in some direction and you need to make sure that the people who are leading you are actually leading you to Jesus. And that's what a shepherd does. They're supposed to lead God's people away from all the noise of the world that is constantly being shouted at them and help them hear the voice of the shepherd who's calling them home. And in this last line, it's so cool, it just says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The reason that those who are given leadership in the church are supposed to serve others humbly live as an example for those around them and use their power to lift those up instead of kind of stand on other people's shoulders. It's because there is a crown of glory, a crown of unfading glory that's going to be given to those who follow Jesus in this way. And you know, the world is going to offer you a crown. It will. And especially a lot of you who are going to UW-Madison, like, man, you made it. Like, you're at a great school. The world is going to offer you a crown, and it might look like a CEO chair. It might look like a big bank account. It might look like a title that comes with some respect and prestige. And the world will offer you power. It will offer you gain. It will offer you the ability to get ahead of and above others. Jesus has a totally different invitation for his sheep. You know, most of us are not going to end up as elders in God's church, but all of us are going to be called to lead and serve and love with the heart of Christ wherever we're called. And the only way that we're going to be able to actually do that is if we say no to the crown that the world is offering us today, to say yes to the different crown that Jesus is talking about. Because the crown that Peter is talking about, this unfading crown of glory, this is the crown that you were meant for. It's the glory that was meant to wrap around you that actually has, wants to be bestowed on you, not from some company or some group of people, but actually from your creator. And the only way that this crown is going to come to you is if you follow the crucified shepherd on the narrow path that he leads all his sheep down. And you won't get a crown of gold in this life. You're probably going to get something more like a crown of thorns. And you won't get a throne but you're actually given, given a cross just like your Savior. But at the end of this journey, with Jesus as your shepherd who's trying to lead you home, when your life story reveals like this resilient faith we've been talking about, you will be given an unfading crown of glory. And it will be put on your head by the gloriously pierced hands of Jesus himself. And I'm telling you, that is the crown you really want. That is the glory and that is the crown that you've been looking for. That's what you really want. 
But that's not going to be here for a moment. But it's going to adorn your head forever. And it will be your glory. It will be your redemption. It will be the statement of your value and worth forever. Because that unfading crown of glory only adorns the heads of those who have been given thrones as the forever children of God in his new world. You are a sheep. And you have a true shepherd whose name is Jesus. And he is calling you home. He's leading you. And one of the primary ways he's going to do it is actually through a group of people like this, a group of sheep who gather together as part of a church and look even to even sinful, broken people as leaders and say, hey, would you like help lead us and help shape our lives? And as we do this, what happens is we actually link arms and arms together. We try to get rid of some of the voices in the world and we try to listen really carefully and say, what is Jesus saying? Where's he leading us? Because he's our shepherd and we want to follow him all the way home. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And God, we're so thankful that at the end of the day, when we feel lost and we feel alone, um, you are the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find us wandering in our own way and bring us home. And Jesus, we're so thankful you've given us a family. God, it's so awesome that we don't just have to follow you on our own by ourselves, but you've given us You've given us brothers and sisters. You've given us a flock that we can follow you with. And God, you've even given us leaders that that are godly and love you and and kind of speak truth into our life when we're wandering and can help us try to hear better what you're trying to say to us. And so, Jesus, we just say thank you for that. And God, we just pray tonight that, God, if there's any kind of other voices in our life that would keep us from hearing your voice, if there's any kind of other leaders that are trying to pull us away from really following you as our shepherd, Jesus, would you guide us and protect us? Because we want to follow you. We're your sheep. We're your church. In your name, amen.